Hey, everybody. Welcome to Twist. I am sitting down today for another great crypto roundtable with Sunny and Vinny. We're breaking down all kinds of things. The future of Twitter and payments because of news that the executive in charge of rolling out micropayments has been laid off. Uh, then we're going to talk about the latest Yuga Labs NFT dropping on the Bitcoin blockchain. If you've already uh, lost interest, don't worry. We're going to tell you how much you need to care about this or not. Coinbase is trying to diversify its business by building sort of a developer AWS for big businesses. And Spotify is doing what might be kind of a cool NFT experiment. It's going to be a great conversation. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. Squarespace, turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And Contra. Contra is a commission-free marketplace for freelancers and independent creators. Get $500 off your first hire at Contra.com slash twist. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Crypto Roundtable. Every time we do this, it feels like it's been like more months since we did this. Is it just because we live every day twice in the, in the interim with the news? Um, I think yes. it's because everything moves so quickly that you know we have to consider maybe making this more frequent maybe a spin-off show yes we'll just make all the decisions while jason's skiing Vinny lingham and sunny mandra welcome back to break down what's been happening in the crypto world i want to start thank you as always for sending us an amazing selection of stories to work with although i would like to start with twitter because at the end of last year i think i pinged the two of you and was like what what do we think is going to happen next year in crypto writ large and a big part of the conversation about what was going to give new breathe new life kind of into web three or crypto or payments was whatever happens at twitter with payments and then now yes. this week we found out that twitter has uh laid off the executive who was working on that payments integration and i want to know what the two of you are making of that well, um, I don't really know and what to welcome. make of Twitter. Thank you. <laughs> I, thanks for having us, Molly. Um, I don't know what to make of Twitter right now. I think yeah. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a show, and uh, you know, it's like I think it's it's clear to everyone, no matter whether you support Elon or not. It's it's not. I don't think it's in a good place. Um, I've I've used it less now. Um, I find that um, yeah, I, I mean, I've got lots of lots of complaints and issues. I'm just going to be whatever. You know, if, if, if it doesn't serve my needs, I don't use it. Um, I think the payment stuff is, is payments are hard. People don't, people don't appreciate how hard payments are because there's just so many angles and ways to view things and look at it. And, um, you know, what, what I think Elon's trying to probably do is trying to build some sort of like, you know, QQ style app, um, you know, what, you know, one app to, to rule them all type product with Twitter. And, you know, that was the thinking. I think, like, my thoughts around this was, like, he would integrate Doge and make Doge, like, a, a you know, key part of the, the strategy for Twitter. I've yet to see that. And I think that, um, I just think there's just too many moving parts of Twitter. And I think that it's just hard for him or anyone else to get their heads around things. And quite frankly, I'll, I'll be honest, I think that the Twitter 
people that are working at Twitter these past this past decade probably weren't um you know the ones you know the the ones that left recently i think they weren't like probably contributing too much to um and that's what you don't you know i think cut it down a bit i think they weren't you know to new product innovation like we just didn't see you know i'd say there's one part that was interesting is like the crypto stuff they were doing was actually pretty cool with like being able to have you know like a hexagon nft profile picture that sort of thing there, there's some cool stuff happening but on payments, I don't think Twitter got anyone payments, and I, yeah. so I don't, I don't, I don't blame them for saying, "Hey, let's go to the payments person." Because what have they actually done on payments? Sunny, what do you think? Are payments yeah, that hard? Um, look, I, I think, I think we're going to see something with crypto and Twitter. I think there's some natural intersections. Uh, everything from tipping to uh, you know creator payments to um, like the NFT stuff. I, I do think, um, you know, if, if you were to kind of sit back and, and, and this would probably be a good transition to you, Molly, but if you were to sit back and look at all the things Twitter has to work on right now, mm-hmm. payments probably and crypto is just not top of the list, right? They, they've had to really deal with, uh, all the advertising, um, fall off, right? And they've had to deal with all the changes that they've made. Um, there's some core product features like with the algorithms, right? There's been a lot of news around that. Like even, uh, you know, one day Elon made his, uh, his Twitter private to see how it affected the algorithm and came back to being public. Um, and so, and then he unblocked a bunch of people around the algorithms as, to see how the, uh, that was impacting the algorithm. So, um, what I think is there's probably just, a um, a, a need to focus on the core product. And, you know, if you think of the product in these like concentric circles with like sort of tweeting being at the core payments and crypto just comes a bit later. And so I, I do think we'll see it. I just, you know, they have to probably resolve the core product issues. I will say, you know, something that reader what Vinny said, and I'd love to hear what you're saying. It feels like the, the, the energy that, you know, around Twitter is down a little bit in terms of um, uh, like, I don't find myself and maybe it's the tweaking of the algorithms as engaged as I was before, but you know, I, I want to make sure that's not anecdotal. Like I don't have any kind of data behind it, but I'll kind of pass to you. That That's sort of my take. I think they'll get to it, but I think they have core product features to figure out. You know, that's my thing. Yeah. I wasn't trying to trick you guys to t- into talking about Twitter to be clear. Really? Like <laughs> I really want to know what you think about Dogecoin and payments. Yeah. So we'll come back to that, but I can yeah. tell you that purely anecdotally, I feel the same way. I, I have gotten back double digit hours in my life per week. Cause I'm just not, yeah. I'm never there. Yeah. And on the Dogecoin front, like maybe we'll just double click into that. Like, you know, it is a really nice, um, you know, potential integration because, uh, you know, one Elon, he has this really great thing. I think he did with like, maybe when he did the time interview um, for time person of the year, and he calls out like sort of the two cryptos, he calls out, you know, Bitcoin as a store of value and Doge as a transactional system. And so, mm-hmm. Um, and the, the Doge team has done a lot of work in, in the last few months, right, in terms of uh, continuing to innovate on the platform. They now have an integration where you can do payments, uh, or, or sorry, they can support transactions through like a, like the SpaceX network. Um, and, and so there's some really interesting things that they were, a Starlink network, probably more accurate. Um, so they've done a, a bunch of really interesting things there, so offline transactions and, and such. So I, I feel like we'll see it happen. I feel like Doge will be what it is because Elon has just pretty much said that very clearly for a number of years. Um, just not right right away. Right. Vinny, why are payments 
so hard and how important are, I guess, you know, secondarily, like how important are payments as we build out functionality? Like it just feels like at the end of the day, everybody wants to understand what the functionality still of crypto is other than store of value. I know you're big on identity, but where do payments sit in that kind of Maslow's hierarchy of utility? Yeah, the, the payments, you know, getting in the payment flow is um, it's a very lucrative business because the amount of money that gets moved around. In the payments world, if you look at, um, you know, f- First Data, Fiserv, I mean, they're a gorilla, two or three trillion dollars a year in payments they process um, on credit cards and other transactions. Um, you know, it's it's a good business. And once you're in that payment flow, you effectively control it. I mean, Apple, look at Apple Play, look at the, the App Store. I mean, they take 30% cut. Um, in the app store, they got Apple Pay where they, where they make some interchange there as well on transactions. It's a, it's a booming business. So everybody wants to get into payments because it's just a very lucrative business. And the, you know, the, the thing about payments is that like the marginal cost of a transaction is zero. So you're just making free money once you get to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 the downside of payments is it's, it's really run by the, the bureaucrats, right? Cause it's, it's, it's highly regulated. It's, um, and so if you, if you have a situation where you, you, you're, you're, I'd say trying to get into payments. If you're a big company like Twitter, your revenue um, prevention department in the company is going to stop you from making money out of it because they're going to put a whole bunch of um, rules in place. And I always call the legal department the revenue prevention department because that's what they do. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, legal and compliance <laughs> will be all, all over it, um, making sure you can't, you can, yeah. And then also, you know, then they, that informs how the product's built as well. If you look at successful products like you know Cash App and that was you know built by Mike Brock and Square, mm-hmm. um, you know th- that was a very successful product, and I, th- I think they they got to scale quickly, and then they sort of tightened up the um, the regulatory side of it. Venmo did the same thing. Venmo was flying you know l- you know very low to the ground uh, when they got bought by PayPal for twenty million bucks. Same same story, right? They they broke they, you know they even paid fines after PayPal paid fines after they acquired it because they broke so many, um, you know, money transmission laws, whatever else. But that's why oh. startups are better suited to doing payments than big companies. Because, well, if Venmo messed up, the investors lose some money, and you know, if they succeed, well, they get bought by PayPal. It wasn't a huge outcome at that point, but um, they were able to disrupt payments in a big way. And then, you know, obviously the regulations and taxes and reporting on Venmo now has come in, you know, years, years later. But they've already used the the time they've had to build a big lead. So. It's really hard for a company like Twitter, which is a public company or was a public company, to go innovate in payments um, and and beat the existing players out there without having to comply with all the onerous regulations. And the risk to the the mothership is just too big. So the the revenue prevention department steps in and stops you from getting escape velocity. Yeah, I I double on what Vinny said there. Like, I think there's a lot of promise around the simplicity around payments that exists, you know, through crypto infrastructure. Right. But the reality is like once you kind of um, start interacting with, you know, regulators and everyone else, like it's less of the technology around making payments happen is the actual rails of moving money around. It's more around like support and I didn't get my money and all the infrastructure around that. And like, hey, was this a fraudulent transaction? Did this go to someone that shouldn't go? Right. Um, and, and so, you know, if you, conceptually on a blockchain, you can build a peer-to-peer payment system very simply, right? With like, you know, probably under 200 lines of code. Um, it just the peer-to-peer payments bit. And there's some apps that, that do that really well. 
I think the minute you try to turn into a large company and you have a revenue prevention department, as Vinny calls it, then you end up with millions of lines of code that are dealing with all the customer support issues, all the regulatory issues. And then you end up having to build all this additional infrastructure, which is, you know, what exists at PayPal and every other place that. And unfortunately, somebody sues you eventually, and then you have to call in. Or or just someone calls in and says, I didn't get my payment. What happened? And, you know, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Listen, it's 2023. The macro picture is a little shaky. It's uneasy out there. And tech is getting hit super hard. As such, you cannot afford to lose sales for silly stuff like not having your SOC 2 right now. If you are unsure about your SOC 2, you need to check out Vanta. Vanta makes it incredibly easy to get and renew your SOC 2. On average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta, huh? And they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. This is a total no-brainer. A bunch of my portfolio founders have used Vanta and they've had amazing experiences. And if you don't have SOC 2 compliance, you can't close major customers. One major customer, that could be the difference between your startup thriving or going away. So get it done right now. Vanta's going to give you $1,000 off because you listen to this podcast. Think about it. $1,000 off. Vanta.com slash twist. You got to write that down. Put it in your notes. V-A-N-T-A dot com slash twist for $1,000 off your SOC 2. Well, well this is the, the biggest problem that Twitter hasn't solved yet is identity, right? And until they solve identity, they can't solve payments. And I, you know, I, I think there's just, I, I've spoken to people at Twitter over the past decade about identity, eight years since I've been involved in Civic. And I, I just say there, I mean, I'll be quite insulting. I'd say most of them are just a bunch of low grade people who don't understand how the space works. And they, they, and they, they've bumbled along for way too long at the company. And, and I've never been impressed with anyone I met at Twitter who told me they understood identity. It was always, you know, trying to like, you know, the bunch of hacks. Um, and I can say that now because they're probably all fired. Um, <laughs> but they never really, they, they never really got You can say really that now to add insult to injury. You can just like get yeah. your bag of salt and rub it in the wound. I was never okay. impressed with anyone. And I, I met a bunch of them and I was never impressed with them. They never really quite got it. They like pretended to get it. They, they did the whole corporate thing, which people in corporates do. Um, but they never got, got it. And, 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 you know, Twitter never solved identity. They just didn't. Um, can I tee up something to you? Just And I think this is a quick, it's outside yeah. our show notes, Molly, but I think it'd be a good one. Vinny, help us understand like what an ideal uh, Twitter identity system looks like, because I know it'll involve crypto from your perspective. So can you give us like a, yeah. like y- your pitch mm-hmm. on, you know, identity on Twitter or maybe not even be on Twitter, but just give it to us. Twitter, Twitter shouldn't, Twitter should move to ingesting um, verifiable claims and credentials uh, in a decentralized way. Um, from you, know, you, know, you could, you could, they could even go as far as saying, "Hey, if here's an example, if you've got, um, if you if you've got your ID established with um, even Experian or TransUnion or whatever or a bank, you should export those credentials to Twitter, and Twitter should be able to rely on third party credentials to verify who you are. Twitter shouldn't be trying to verify every single person in the world because it's a global service. They don't have the ability to go and dig into every single service. What they should do is say, if you want to get verified, these are the tools we use. We use open source, we use DIDs, we use verifiable claims, whatever it is. And these are the providers you can use. And, we'll, and then just basically look at that entire web. This is a global basis, allowing people and companies to do attestations for people. So for example, Sunny could come to Civic or, or, or his bank and, and say, hey, can I just get a credential that says I'm Sunny? And we could issue it to him and he can go to Twitter 
and Twitter could read that credential and verify it. And the, the thing about this system of verifiable credentials is that when Twitter reads that credential, Civic doesn't know it's being read. And so the, the privacy is the loop is between Sunny and Twitter. So you solve the privacy issue because you're not you're not letting people um, you, 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 like for example you log in with Google using OAuth. Google knows every time you log into everything using Google because the service is pinging Google asking for the token. It's going back and forth, and Google knows that every time Sunny logs into every Facebook as well. Every time OAuth is used to log into any single website or service, the, the, the Facebook knows about it. They're a centralized authority with verifiable claims and credentials. You can basically present stuff, and as long as the, the cryptographic proofs are there and it hasn't been revoked, then you can assume that he, if he's still in possession of those keys, that that's sunny, and you could ask for additional challenges and whatever else around that. But but Twitter, I think, is you know they don't think about things that are on a global perspective. It's very much a U.S. perspective on on identity, and then also the second thing is they were very focused on getting as many active user accounts as possible, even if they were bots, they didn't care because they were just charging advertisers for tons of page views. Um, and there was no real incentive to stamp out the bots and reduce page views. And so it was just like, let's not have a high friction service. Now, I, I think that what, what, what the algos should be done, should, should, what you should do with algos is this. You should say, if, if someone has a verifiable credential or claim or an identity attached to their account, that gives them a boost in the rankings. Now, that means that you know, I will see your and Sunny's uh, tweets way before I see some random tweet account I'm following that hasn't been verified. doesn't mean that their account isn't being surfaced. It just means that it's lower priority. And what happens then is it forces people to say, hey, let's verify ourselves to get higher rankings in, in, in results, in, in Twitter results pages. And everyone who is a legit, reasonable person would say, okay, if I can do it in a private way and I can verify my identity, and I get more engagement, I get more exposure to a bigger audience. There's a, there's a good economic reason why I would do that. So I will verify myself. For those who want anonymity or do not, you know, and, and you can, by the way, you can do this in an anonymous way. You can, you can do an assertion. So you could say, yeah, you know, here's a verifiable credential, which proves I'm a US citizen uniquely mm-hmm. and I'm over the age of 21 mm-hmm. and that's it. And, and if I try, and then using those credentials, I can never reassert those credentials on another Twitter account without being marked as the same person. But you don't know who I am. Yeah. So th- it's, it's, you know, so, so these are things we can do things like drop, um, uh, tokens into wallets. So we can, you know, Civic does it with Civic Pass right now. We can drop a soulbound token into an ETH wallet or, or a Solana wallet and verify that person's unique. And, and any other wallet they try and create would, wouldn't have that. You can't have to re- replicate that same token. There are ways to do this. There's just no will. For Twitter to change the way things work, they're just doing it like they've always done it, and that's the issue. Well, to be fair, it has always been, and arguably even is now, even though we're in the middle of a messy transition away from it, an ad-supported social network. So, like numbers yes. were always—I mean, you know—there's yep. plenty of evidence that Facebook, specifically the product, has overstated its metrics to advertisers for. A decade or more, because the important yeah. thing is scale. But we knew so this, like, Molly. We knew this. This is not news. I I tweeted about this many times. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like maybe it. saying that, maybe saying that all of the people who you talked to didn't understand it. Maybe what they were actually saying is, we have this business model. Your thing seems to involve a pretty big lift in terms of implementation and understanding on the part of our users, and yes, all of our engineers. And we have this other business model, so this isn't really necessarily worth our time. Yep. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're yeah. 100% right. There was a total conflict with well, the way they were making money. So the, the issue Twitter I had with them is that they were not interested in 
First of all, delivering value to advertisers. As an advertiser previously on Twitter, it was the biggest waste of money I've ever spent because they, they you know, that what they count as interactions and engagements and views is just bull. I mean, it's just like it's just basically bot bot fodder, right? So I didn't bother. I think with that. I mean, so to be fair, you're talking about the entire publishing ecosystem at this point. Like, <laughs> I don't no, know where you're getting true. value, that's honestly. Like, where that, are you that, getting that, value as true. an advertiser? Google AdWords has always been fantastic. You can you can set your price. You can track it all the way to conversion. Uh, Twitter always was selling this sort of like um, amorphous, arcane, oh, we have engagements and impressions and people are talking about you and blah, blah, blah. Not tracking direct sales, okay? When you look at direct sales... And at the end uh, of the day, it was, a, was, it was a, a display ad at yeah. the end of the day too, right? It's a display ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they count even bot views as, as impressions, which is rubbish, right? The, 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 you're right, so the incentives didn't exist, but, 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 but the bigger Molly, picture here, Molly... Sorry, let me just finish the, the point. The bigger picture yep. here is that Elon's not wrong, okay? If you move to a advertiser-less service or a lower advertiser service and you can build real value in the system, the platform by having real people engage, you will have high engagement rates and the advertisers that are left behind will actually spend more money because they're going to get better ROI. You may have a smaller user base because you can't tout these big numbers which aren't real anyway, but it would be a higher quality advertising platform. Hey, everybody, we're back with another Show Us Your Space contest in partnership with our friends at Squarespace. We did this last year. It was a huge hit. Here's how it works. We're going to give one Twist listener $1,000 in Squarespace credits, but we're doing it vertical specific this time. If you run any kind of an e-commerce related business, it could be a DTC brand, a consumer marketplace, a consumer subscription service, online course, you get the idea. Head to showusyourspace.com. That's it. And that's going to redirect you to one of my tweets from at Jason. Reply to the tweet with a short video, an image, a link, a GIF, whatever, that shows off your e-commerce site on Squarespace. Then the team is going to pick a winner and we're going to give them $1,000 in a Squarespace gift card. That's right. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start a side project, a hustle, Squarespace is how you do it. On Squarespace, you can build or sell anything. We love it here at launch. We use it for remote demo day, countless other projects, and the features are amazing. They've got templates, analytics, inventory management, APIs, everything. And it's optimized for mobile. It's going to look great on an iPhone, an Android phone. Everything just looks perfect. And you can even sell courses directly inside of Squarespace and keep the 15% that other platforms are taking. Listen, it's your money. Keep it. Here's your call to action. It's so simple. Head to squarespace.com slash twist to start your free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. If I could build a little bit, taking it back to like ID systems for a bit and, and, yeah. and we can transition from this one, but this is a good topic. Um, so I dropped something in our chat, like India launched this uh, national ID system called the Adar system. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think it was launched like back in 2009 or 10. It's, it's been a long time. I, I think they have, you know, almost over a billion people on this system now. And it's incredible. It, it really implements a vision of what Vinny is talking about. And so, you know, every system in India, whether it's banking, your telephone, um, uh, it, whether you're getting subsidies from the government, it all runs through this national ID system in the way that, you know, Vinny described. And I think the opportunity for Twitter, because it is sort of the one worldwide product, is to adopt something like this at sort of a, a worldwide scale and say, hey, let's let all, and, you know, Twitter just has this unique position more so than Facebook or Instagram or any of the other at scale um, in networks. 
that they could implement sort of a worldwide ID system for um, for all services. Um, and that, that would be su- super powerful. And I think um, it'd be really cool to see them leverage a blockchain to do that and, and build on top of it. And there's a, again, you, I sent an article here, we can share it in the links about like what all the benefits that have come from India's national ID system. It's also not without controversy. Because there's a question about the aggregation of that much data. Isn't there, wasn't there a project that was trying to do that? It was like, it involved a globe that would scan your eyeball and then you'd be issued a token. WorldCoin? WorldCoin. World World yeah. I think it's yeah. Sam Altman was involved with that one too, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's the same. So, so Sunny's right. So this is my point. Okay. Twitter never actually put out a, um, you know, developer framework, a developer kit uh, or anything like that and said, hey, this is a framework we're going to adopt for ID verification. All the providers right. out there, feel free to plug in, give credentials to your users, and they can reuse on the Twitter platform, and we'll ingest them, okay? They, they, they've never done that, and that's the first thing they should be doing, because then they can say to every country in the world, if you've got a home affairs office, or you've got a state department, or you've got an IDAR service, just make a, you know, y- y- here's a spec, we're going to use a W3C compliance spec with verifiable credentials, we can use, you know, you can use identity.com, which is non-profit for, for um uh, you know, for, for the gateway, we have, you know, we have a gateway protocol that we can use. There's lots of things you can use to decentralize this and make sure it's private and secure and that users right. can get access to their, their data. Right now, we're in a world where literally most IDs are issued physically and not digitally. And we need to get to a world where digital IDs are pervasive, where a bank can issue a digital ID to your phone. And by the way, they can do this today, right? So you can, you know, you can give a bank an SDK and they can make the credentials available inside their app. And then just, you know, uh, basically, you know, app to app switching, basically feed the credentials into Twitter privately, securely, or the user can have their own wallet to store it, whatever. There's, there's different ways to do this. The issue is right. that there's, so the, the, one of the problems with, with decentralized identity, and again, this is the thing I've been working on for a long time, is that none of the big players have ever had the, the, the you know, the guts to go and say, we're going to adopt this. And I think Twitter should be that player. Because so without that your big massive assertion, pool, right. So your assertion is before, after core issues with the product, then identity payments way well, later. Well, I, I think identity is core. I think identity is core to Twitter. Right. Tw- Twitter's, yeah. uh, Twitter's well, had so many problems with fake, fake identities, what? fake accounts, whatever, like, sure. you know, uh, hacks, etc. But it seems like, like it fundamentally depends on what the business model of Twitter actually is yes. going forward, which is still an open question. Well, I, I think, we, I think we, can, we can at least agree that the business model of selling ads um that displayed to bots for advertisers is just a bad business model <laughs> still ha- it's still happening i know <laughs> I mean, it's terrible i i, I hate it <laughs> All and right, I've, built ad- I've built ad tech platforms like i, I think it's just it's, it's disgusting i mean everything is changing in that front i don't know if you guys heard my interview with the neva ceo but it's mm. But like once you change i actually think you even step back from identity all the way to search like once you change search and the incentives around search, and you start to have an ecosystem that is based on answers and not ad-supported answers, then all of a sudden this entire universe of things that rely on, I'm getting a little off topic here, but that rely (laughs) on that ad-supported initial uh, contact starts to go away, like the recipe pages that are 30, you know, pages long because they want to serve you a thousand ads. Anyway, I do have a thing that I really want to ask you guys about because I just want to understand it and know if it's a big deal. This week, <sighs> Yugo Labs is back. This week, Yugo Labs is dropping this NFT collection on the Bitcoin blockchain 
using this ordinals protocol, which I have been hearing about a lot. In fact, all the, the eight times I've been on Twitter in the last like four weeks, somebody has been talking about ordinals. So help me understand It's the creators of board apes. They're working on this project called 12 fold. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the deal is that it maybe for the first time is an NFT project that actually interfaces with the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, I think it's the second one, but, okay. um, but so like, let's kind of 12 fold is or ordinals is the ordinals is the protocol that is they're the protocol. using. Right. Yeah. And then 12 fold so is the product it, and you're saying it's pro- the second it, product using I, the ordinals. I, I, I believe protocol? so. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. And, um, help and me so understand like, the protocol. Yeah. So, so let's, let's kind of take a step back, um, and start from Ethereum and then we'll go why it's important on block, uh, on Bitcoin. Great. So most NFTs, which we've spent a lot of time talking about, um, in, in, on this podcast in the past have a combination of some information stored in the blockchain and then generally some information stored off the blockchain, uh, off the blockchain and maybe in some decentralized storage like IPFS or, you know, Filecoin or take your pick. And so the interesting thing there is that you require kind of those two pieces to come together to get the full, um, information about what is the representation of, of the NFT. Um, so that could be in that, like there's the, um, the data behind the NFT could be put into the blockchain and then the image itself or something like that lives in a, in a storage system. Um, there was one project, there's, I mean, there's several projects, there was one project or reference that moved everything onto the blockchain in Ethereum was called on-chain monkeys. And what's interesting there is the entirety of the NFT is fully included into the transaction on the blockchain. And so what Ordinals really um, created was a similar thing on Bitcoin where um, an entire trend, an entire NFT is encoded into like a Satoshi. And so uh, all of the metadata, all of the information required. Uh, so there's no kind of secondary system required to recreate that. And I think that's, what's exciting about this. Um, you know, obviously it's on the, the Bitcoin ledger. Um, and so it, it kind of, um, you know, create some excitement that there's some more utility on that ledger other than mm-hmm. just, you know, transactions, which have been there. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know, um, that, that ledger is much more expensive to transact on. And so Vinny, yeah, I'm going to toss to you here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, doing these things at scale, you want to move to a place where the transaction speeds are high, the transaction costs are low. And so, you know, overall, it's a very exciting development, but I don't think it's like a innovation forward in any way that like um, um, creates sort of a new advancement for the space. But Vinny, I'll, I'll toss to you. Okay. I mean, it's a bit too, it's a too little too late type of thing. I mean, this is the, we, we, we've been mm-hmm. through this with Bitcoin 2017, the Bitcoin is supposed to, the, the argument for Bitcoin to be more than a store of value that for, that battle was fought and lost in 19, in 2017. So this ordinals thing, it looks cool, but it's not going to scale because Bitcoin is not going to increase the block size. It doesn't matter. It's a kind of flash in the pan. Maybe it becomes a layer two type solution. So it runs on lightning or stacks or whatever, whatever. It's not going to be something that natively runs on Bitcoin forever where, you know, it's, it's not going to get to scale. It'll be a niche thing, which maybe a few people want to use and yep. some hardcore Bitcoin people want to use, but it's not going to go, but Bitcoin can't handle it. It's seven transactions per second. Bitcoin, yep. you know, for the entire Bitcoin network, it's not going to be able to handle this. And the mempool, they're going to clog up the mempool with this stuff. The fees will go up and down. It's basically in a hype cycle right now. The, 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 the fundamental issue here is the Bitcoin blockchain is a one megabyte block every 10 minutes. There is no capacity for 
providing the world or even a country with the ability to create NFTs on Bitcoin. It doesn't work. The math doesn't add up. And so unless the community is willing to increase the block size, which we know it will not, then, right. you know, it's not going to happen. Like there's, yeah. a, there's an argument that this thing, this will probably work better on Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SVE because they've got much bigger blocks and they can scale it. Um, but that's not, uh, you know, that's not going to matter because, um, you and know, I think Solana, Solana and Ethereum and Polygon, Polygon. already have such, such, such an a lead on all the others. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, yeah I, I think this it's, is a dead end. But we'll see. And the Yuga drop is only like 300, right? And so you, you can see that they've kind of had to, to navigate around that as well. So I think, you know, between yeah. the transaction price, the speed, yeah. I, I don't think this becomes anything um, much bigger than sort of a, a little bit of a news splash here. Yeah, it, and it's, it's very, it's very niche. It's very niche. Not to cast any aspersions on Yuga Labs, but is it a news splash slash quick bag grab? I mean, like you meant 300 or, you, you know, create 300 of these things. They, you, they get a lot of press and attention because it is inherently limited in all the ways that you've just laid out. Presumably, they're going to be really expensive. So, like, it feels like mm. they just made three Rolls Royces or three hundred Rolls Royces and sell no, those. I, I, I don't think I, you you can have a liquidity problem, yeah. And people aren't going to be able. You know, there's like what marketplaces are going to support this? Who's going to buy it? Why they're going to buy it? What, like, it's by the way, this is the same argument for NFTs and everywhere else. I'm a big NFT fan. But yeah. like the value of NFTs is limited to the utility of the NFT or the collector value of NFT. It's, not, it's like art, right? So um, the perceived value is what it's worth. So really, they're just creating a bunch of Rolls Royces that no one's going to want to buy? Like, I'm having a hard time understanding why do it then. I agree with you, Ma. I think it's a bit of a cash grab. I, I think there's 300 people out there in the Bitcoin ecosystem that will buy these and yeah. You know, yeah. that's it. Because yeah. they'll be like, yeah. these are the only NFTs that are They're actually etched onto the Bitcoin blockchain. Well, well actually, actually, let's go back a sec. Let's go it's back like a, a second. Diamond. Okay. Okay. These are not the first. These are not the first NFTs issued on Bitcoin. The first ones were, I think, there were some rare peppies and whatever else done on Counterparty. Uh, you got uh, Spells of Genesis. Yeah, the Satoshi card back in 2015. This is not new. Now, Ordinals is a new protocol. But, you know, they used uh, Counterparty back in the day. So this isn't new. Like, you can't tell me that this is a new way of doing, this is a new, you know, th that NFTs never existed on Bitcoin. They did. I still have keys to my mm. Counterparty wallet that has, you know, um, NFTs on the blockchain. So it's just basically a new cycle. It's a rehype. But, we, you know, Counterparty failed because Bitcoin fees are too high. Okay. And, and basically, NFTs moved to, to Ethereum and, and obviously now Solana as well. So the, the, the like fees are a big issue. It's not helping the NFT reputation. It's really not. Because like, I think no. there's been this sense and this argument that like, well, it's all evolving, right? The scammers come in, but then there's like a real thing. And then you build on the real thing. And then you eventually get to the internet as we know it today, for example. But this doesn't feel helpful. This doesn't feel accretive to the ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, I'm never against experimentation. So experiment, go forth, prove me wrong. Have this thing work out great. I don't see how the, the elephant in the room, quite frankly, right now is this big, um, you know, one megabyte block limit. How we get past that, I don't understand it. Right. I think Molly, just you, you good, good example, Rolls Royce, right? There are people out there that collect these very expensive sports cars, right? That are, you know, they make a hundred of a year or less. And so it's just one of those things They're not very practical is very desirable by a very few number of people, right? right. Um, you know, Bugattis, Conaseggs, right? There's right. a whole bunch of these. It's your money, man. Yeah, go, go <laughs> for it.
hiring freelancers and doing that on project-based work is a brilliant way for you to grow your startup sustainably, right? You can't just hire everybody in every little vertical. And listen, there is a ton of top talent right now out there looking for work due to all the layoffs in tech, you know that. So you need to check out Contra, C-O-N-T-R-A. Contra is a commission-free marketplace for freelance and independent creators. So all that money that's going back and forth between you and your freelancers, it's not getting taken by some marketplace. No, there's no percentage-based upcharge when you do hire somebody. And they do all the vetting, they find the best people. On the other side of the marketplace, hey, if you're one of these laid-off tech workers and you got tons of skill, well, sign up for Contra. It's an amazing platform for you. And remember, like I said above, creators on Contra keep 100% of what they make. There's no fees. They specialize in design, engineering, social media, video, writing, and of course, AI. This is a really easy way for you to get great talent and to do it quickly. If you need project-based work, you need to check out Contra. It's that easy. And you know what? The best thing about freelancers is you only spend what you need to spend. You might have a really important social media project, but it's only for six months of the year or you need some videos, but you only need 10 of them, not 100 of them. They're going to do it fast. They're going to do it right. So here's your call to action. I can't believe it. $500 off your first hire at Contra.com slash twist. That's right. Five crisp hundies waiting for you at Contra, C-O-N-T-R-A dot com slash twist. Anyway, yes. What's going What's going on with this like uh, Coinbase protocol situation? Yeah, so uh, at the highest level, it's an Ethereum L2. And so, um, you know, that gives the ability to have uh, pretty low transaction costs, high transaction throughput, and then, you know, ultimately it can settle on Ethereum. Um, why are they doing this? Let's take a step back. So um, we've talked about this before. If you actually look at Coinbase, right, the ad for as a company, for the most part, you know, it's a it's a custodial system. And so um, a lot of um, a lot of what happens in Coinbase itself isn't really happening on the blockchain. Like they may enter. Like, so if you go to Coinbase and buy you know, any type of asset, Bitcoin, Ethereum, you're most likely not buying it from uh, like a like a blockchain transaction. Uh, you're probably buying it from a pool that exists within the Coinbase custodial system. Um, so I think one, you know, there's. Uh, an interesting push to kind of create this system where a whole bunch of other applications and services, whether it's their own or others, start getting created. Um, what you get by Coinbase putting it out there is you get, you know, there's a lot of these L2s that exist. There's even, you know, other blockchains. You get the backing of a public company running this system for you now. And so mm-hmm. if you're thinking of, so if you're a company and you're thinking of building, you know, on blockchain for whatever that may be, um, could be NFTs, could be, you know, loyalty systems all, and any, anything along those lines. Coinbase is like the AWS in this case, um, offering okay. a, you know, a blockchain that's run by them. Hopefully their services are, are put on it. They maintain the development and growth around it. And so it's a sort of a, a choice for enterprises and companies to build on. I don't think we see startups go there because I think startups are closer to, you know, what's happening more at the core of, uh, the, you know, the crypto and blockchain ecosystem, whether it's in Solana or Polygon. But I do think if you're a big company and you're looking to leverage blockchain for some type of service you're building, mm-hmm. it's it, it becomes sort of a, an answer that you can go after. Now, that said, all the big clouds also offer services. They don't have their own uh, L2 that they're running. But, you know, uh, I, I believe, you know, AWS has like a, an Ethereum service that they run if you want to you know, interact with it through that system. Um, so it's I think it's a play as part of like becoming an infrastructure provider 
So right. looking more and more like an AWS. Although I'm not sure, you know, how much energy from enterprises right now, given everything that's happening, is going to go towards this. And unfortunately, like, you know, with Coinbase, they had their own marketplace as well, like an NFT marketplace that didn't really take off. And so the track record here on these kind of expansions from their core offering hasn't been so great yet. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's a trusted place for an enterprise. Vinny? Got it. It's so funny. I was on a call early on where I actually said the exact same thing. Like for Coinbase, outside their core offering, nothing has really worked well. And yeah. it's not, you know, for lack of trying. They just, I think, uh, yeah, they, 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 their core offering is what carried them. And their greatest, like, the greatest value of Coinbase, they were over 100 million users worldwide. So they're mm-hmm. trying to find ways to like give their users other things to do. It still goes down to the debate. Like, first of all, the L2 space is overcrowded. The L1 yep. space is overcrowded. We haven't seen clear winners emerge outside of Ethereum and maybe Solana uh, in the L1 space. And in the L2 space, it's still very subjective because they're very highly centralized. All these L2s are, I mean, this is a, a very centralized L2. It's an L2 run by Coinbase. So you can't yeah. get it more centralized. So yeah. it's not in the ethos of crypto, you know, from uh, like an old school OG perspective, but it may be something which users find practical. But I, I think we're struggling to find, you know, Developers are spread thin across too many projects and too many layers, and and there's just not enough users out there that are in the space. Like people are just, um, you know, not like I mean, people are just not using crypto projects much. And right. so you, you 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 know you're selling to the crypto community, which is a small community. And like you can argue there's a hundred. I mean, if Coinbase only has a only, I say the word only because it's not a lot. If Coinbase only has 110 million users worldwide out of 7 billion people, um, that's that's a very small number. And if you look at all of those 110 million people, how many of them are really hardcore crypto users that use on a regular basis? I would say maybe 20% to 30%. I think the rest right. are like, you know, when, when, the, when the market's flying, they go into their accounts, they go buy some Bitcoin. When they lose money, they leave, they don't come back. So how many of those are real active accounts or maybe they're, they're storing some crypto? So then you, you, you're selling tools to you know, and apps to 20 million users, 30 million users worldwide who are really, really active and hardcore. And, it, and then you're competing with you know, a dozen L1s, a dozen or two L2s that are meaningful out there right now. And you're Coinbase and you, you, know, you own the user and you have all these users that are being verified. But now I don't think they've solved identity either. Um, and so... I don't know how this plays out. I mean, it just, this just seems like it seems like too much competition for a bear market. <laughs> I have not. I'll tell you what. I'm just gonna. T- I'm just gonna confess right now, Vinny. I also have not solved identity. Help me. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so it sounds like two things are happening here. In the case of Coinbase specifically, one thing that's happening is obviously a need for diversification. We know that if your primary business relies on trading volume and you're not seeing a lot of that, you definitely have to diversify. Creating some version of AWS, which prints cash for Amazon, seems kind of smart. Create a dev environment to help popularize Mm -hmm. the kinds of things that will bring more volume to Coinbase. The concern is, did you just create a dev playground and there are no kids in your neighborhood? Yeah. And on the AWS example, Molly, Mm -hmm. I know this quite well. Like One of my co-founders, my last company was one of the early creators, wrote one of the first papers on AWS. Um, that was created for AWS, uh, sorry, for Amazon. The reason right. they had to create it is, you know, they had to scale their e-commerce business. And, uh, you know, er- every time, you know, these certain seasons came around and they wanted the ability to do that sort of with their own control. And so, um, you know, I think uh, for for 
Coinbase, what they really have to show, and that's where I started with that is maybe if they move their hundred plus million people and a set of addition, like their core services, plus some additional services to this blockchain and show the benefit of using it. So like as AWS did, we may see some innovation happen there. But mm. I think in advance of that, like I, I haven't seen anything about Coinbase moving their entire, you know, um, trading system and everything else to, to this protocol or uh, to the side to this L2 and so, you know, that that's also a more difficult one. In the case of Amazon, there was a, well, we run our entire business on this thing. And so, uh, and we get some leverage for doing it. You should do the same thing. Got it. So this is more like we popped up a four, a four pay playground in a neighborhood that doesn't have any kids and we're not even going to send our own kids there. Yeah, they haven't yeah. made that clear, but that's what it's, it seems it's like. It's a dangerous right swing set. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, push, I'm, too, I'm taking this too far. And then I love it. I'm going to use that one. I like that four play playground. (laughs) You know, I only have one skill in life and it's translation through metaphor. Um, Mm -hmm. What, who would they hope be hoping to attract outside of that 20 million hardcore users that you mentioned though? Like, would they be wanting to become the development platform for, of choice for like the next time a Starbucks wants to do an NFT based Rewards program. I, I, I would, I would think, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like you know, some of the yeah. examples we've talked about before. So like big corporates that want to make a choice around a blockchain, and you know, they've probably seen. And I think on this, you know, we got to give the Polygon team credit, right? Polygon is getting a lot of wins recently with um, you know companies, uh, definitely like Fortune five hundred companies, and so they're probably looking at that, saying, hey, how do we, how do we participate in that, right? And so we, we stand by this got blockchain. It. It's like, to Vinny's point, we run it. Um, and, you know, bring your, um, loyalty system here, bring your NFT project here, bring, you know, whatever, bring your, bring, create marketplaces here, but mm-hmm. they really now have to have a creation of an entire ecosystem, which is, um, and that's also vastly different than AWS. Sorry. When you create something on AWS, it's kind of usable everywhere. If you create something on this, on this particular blockchain, it's not usable everywhere else. Right. So you're really, you know, it feels much more like walled garden than it does sort of an open platform. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay, before I let you go, we just have a few more minutes. What else is sure. what else is happening? That's cool. We have other stories in our our lineup, but let's do a little like a lightning round here. Uh, I thought the Spotify testing, uh, you know, playlist that could be unlocked by NFT holders was pretty cool. This goes, you know, we've we always kind of search for these um, uh, use cases, and I thought I thought that was very very interesting. So, um, what, what did you guys think of that? So token gated playlist, let's do a little explanation here. According to a series of tweets by Kingship, I'm reading from TechCrunch, a metaverse band signed to Universal Music Group. That's happening already? Okay. Anyway, according to Kingship, uh, the streaming company Spotify is piloting playlists that could be unlocked through NFTs in certain geographies. So under this pilot, Kingship has released a special playlist that could be accessed only by Kingship keycard NFT holders. So is this like a more complicated way to buy an album? I think it's uh, maybe a way to have a collectible, right? That's associated with the album. So, um, you know, if we think back in the days, I don't think it ever happened in the CD era, but definitely in the vinyl era, the, Mm -hmm. you know, was it, you know, weren't the, Mm -hmm. um, the, I guess, what what did you call it? Like the, the vinyl covers collectibles for people. And so this is a way to kind of recreate that in a digital environment. Like why, why take that joy away from folks? Right. Um, and so I, I, I view it as that. It's kind of recreating something and it feels exciting. I feel like this could totally work with K-pop. Like, I don't know if you, kn- I mean, all of the kids who are into K-pop right now are, they buy 
CDs to like crazy so that yeah. they can have the album art. And most yeah. of them don't even have CD players. Like they don't, yeah. they, like they literally have a piece of dead media that most of them don't listen to. Although yeah. I did get my son's friend, like a super cute stand up CD player. It's like pink and she can, you know, K-pop oh, nice. it up. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. You've unlocked a series of accessories that can go along with this, but this is very physical. Anyway, yeah. I could imagine K-pop kids would be very excited about this or people who are, are really Spotify, just side note, kind of experimenting. They're also doing the AI playlists. Yep. They are pushing really hard on a lot of these. That's great. Great to see that good innovation in the space. But yeah, so I, I kind of chalk it up to collectibles, right? Mm -hmm. I still have, uh, you know, my dad was a big fan of Pink Floyd and he has like an original Dark Side of the Moon. And so that lives somewhere in my parents' house. So I, I can see amazing. the value there. Yeah. I have, a, I have a Purple Rain poster from the, you know, from the actual vinyl album. Really? Yeah. Oh, where do you keep it? Actually, it's in my kid's room right now. Awesome. Do you have the like album? Should, I should probably yeah. protect it better, but yeah, I have the yeah. album. Yeah. Oh, see, there you go. All yeah, right. I get it. You know, I get yeah. it. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking up what you're laying down. I'm not super into collectibles, but like, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, I could, I could see it. I could see it. Vinny, what do you think? He's like, we're not talking about identity anymore. I've lost interest. How do you feel about Spotify's identity service? Have they nailed it? No, well, that's, <laughs> they, they don't need to do identity. Do you have collectibles? <laughs> Are you a collectible person? I just invested in collectibles.com. Um, I don't think they've announced really? anything yet, but it's coming in. What's it's, that? Collectibles.com. Well, <gasps> coming they, they, spring 2023. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I'm actually big into collectibles. I've so you're Magic. all in on this space. Well, I've got Magic the Gathering cards from 2003, I think. I've got like 20 year old cards. I, I collected tons of those. I've got, uh, I, I mean, I collect, I collect physical Bitcoins. Um, I have, uh, you know, and they're not, don't worry, they're not my house. I put them away safely somewhere. So <laughs> <laughs> don't come over. <laughs> yeah, don't come over trying to look for them. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I've always been into collectibles, uh, comic books. I've got some comic books. I've got some, um, you know, I like collectibles. I, I like digital collectibles. I mean, I'm a big NFT collector. I've got, you know, hundreds of NFTs. Over the years, so collecting over eight years, um, I think that I, mean, I think that digi digital collectibles are going to take off. Collectibles, as applied to music, is definitely a longstanding. I'm yeah, I'm going to invest in Dequency as well, which is uh, Keithley's Keithley's company, and and they're I mean, not really collectibles yet, but they're doing some cool stuff in the music NFT space. So NFTs are not dead unless it sounds like today's takeaway is uh, NFTs are not uh, dead unless not Yuga dead. Labs continues to give them the worst <laughs> reputation. <laughs> no, actually, I wouldn't say. I say, Just I say stop, Yuga. I'd say Yuga can keep doing what they want to do. Like I think everyone, the more experiments we run in NFTs, yeah. the better. I have an NFT project launching later this month um, called Explorers. Um, you go to actually. I think the website's up. ExplorersNFT.com. Um, it's not Sunny, there, do you have anything you want to um, pitch oh, oh, today? We've like Explorers. had a long <laughs> civic pitch. And so, no, no, no. Explorers, <laughs> Explorers, Explorers, Explorers Digital. There you go. And we're using we're using civic for identity, of course. Uh, but this episode is sponsored by Vinny Lingham. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that's happening I, I, in the crypto I, I'm, I'm space bullish, right now is bullishing them. I'm bullish in <laughs> NFTs. I'm bullish in NFTs. I think they. I think it's just that we're in a we're in the trough of disillusionment right now for NFTs. If you look at the yeah. Gartner curves, well, we're, we're in the trough part, and we'll come out of it. 
You know what's really positive to see, though, Molly, like through the arc of everything that's happened, you know, since the formation of this podcast is there are some awesome things being built right now. And the Spotify thing is exactly that. You know, it's not, you know, like what are all the criticisms? A scam, no utility, right? And you're seeing all that come together. There's a real utility here, collectible. You know, people can understand it. It's tied to a real world thing. Hey, I want to listen to this album from this team. It's not like this thing that just... You know, people criticize like a picture of a monkey and, you know, what does it really mean? And so we're actually, if you take a step back, like this is pretty cool. Like it's a real utility and, you know, we, we know the, the physical analog for it and let's, let's run with it. It's being um, promoted by a company that's doing a lot of innovative things, right? In, mm-hmm. in Spotify. So I think this is, all these things are really good for the ecosystem right well, now. And frankly, that, if it's a way for these artists to make money more directly and not rely yes. on that crappy little split from Spotify streams, I think that could actually be really powerful. Yeah. And you can support your favorite artists through that. You have something connected to them. They can yep. create future things associated with this NFT. I think it's really, really great. Yeah. I, I think I you'll think see audience, fun, yeah. audience, innovative, audience will probably innovate a bit more in the NFT space, hopefully. Um, what do you think they'll do? I, yeah. Who knows? Um, I, I, you know, but I've seen, I've seen, um, I think it was um, Royal, which is, um, uh, Justin Blau's Justin's, company. Yep. yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, between you know what he's doing with like creating these NFTs that have um, the royalties attached to it. What when, you know what Audius is doing. I think there's something. Yeah. We just we we as a community, we just need to support these guys and ha- and have them um, you know keep experimenting. And guys, like tech is only where it is today because of thousands of failed experiments, right? Yeah. And yep. in, in fact, yeah. tens of thousands, and probably millions of failed experiments over the past you know twenty thirty years. And we we. We every time we fail, the people who fail learn something, and then they either go build something new, or someone else learns from their learnings. And, and innovation happens that way. Innovation isn't a function of you know getting it right every single time, because that's not historically what's happened. We've gotten it wrong so often. It's that we learn from our mistakes, and then we find what does work, and then we double down on that, and we actually make it work. And that's what I like about this segment. We tell you what stuff is Rolls Royce and you don't have to care unless you have that kind of money and <laughs> what stuff is actually going to be useful to you in the future. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks, Sunny. See you next time. Awesome. Thanks, guys. thanks, Molly. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you back here tomorrow. If in the meantime, you have suggestions for topics or news you want us to cover, email the producers, producers at thisweekinstartups.com and make sure you join us on Twitter if you're still there at TWI Startups. Have a great week.